Welcome back. Last episode, we talked with Kate Boss to get the pulse on acute care nursing practice and its links to nursing education. Thank you for joining us for this part two. So, you know, I think kind of related to this is this, because Kate, you talked about this gap between academia and practice. It's always been there and we're always aspiring to close it. Mm-hmm. And we always have conversations in academia about national first-time pass rates and passing board. And it's a really important metric, I agree, for a lot of different reasons that we don't even have time to get into. However, it seems like sometimes I, from my perspective, I think we get distracted by this pretty shiny object of what our NCLEX pass rates, first attempt pass rates are for an institution. And that may take away from some of our attention around or on practice readiness, which is related but different. And I think that practice readiness is something that you probably experience a lot firsthand when you get clinical groups there, when you have um, new grads, when you're working with folks who are on orientation or just coming off orientation. So I'm curious to hear from your experience on the practice side, what are some of the practice readiness issues that you're seeing either in students who are about to graduate or folks that are in orientation or getting ready to come off orientation or just fresh novices off orientation? What are some of those things that we need to be aware of in academia to help prepare and support our practice partners? Yeah. Um, you know, I think in this post or, pre, or during pandemic, I don't even know what kind of world this is, but, um, you know, in this, during this pandemic, you know, we saw a lot of things, um, supply chain breakdown, all kinds of things. And we had to try to figure out, you know, all of a sudden we didn't have medicine that we needed. Um, I remember trying to give medicine to, you know, to some hospice patients that really needed it for comfort and, Oh, we don't have it. It's just not in stock. And I was like, wait, what? Like that would never happen, you know? And it's so in school, we don't necessarily learn about if we don't have X, then what do we do? You know, if this, if we don't have an antibiotic, you know, if we don't have a, um, primary tubing, um, then what do we do? Um, and I think the things that, you know, with that, that could help that and could help bridge that gap is, you know, you're going to love this, but more sim, I mean, more, more of that in practice practice, you know, in a safe place where they can make mistakes because it is, you know, a learning environment and they're not going to know what to do. Um, more practicum, longer practicum, um, longer programs. I don't even know if that's possible. Um, they already seem so long, but right now I know we're seeing this like push to get students out and into the field. Um, and I think that that's a hindrance to them. And it was very obvious that, you know, they hadn't put their hands on a patient. They hadn't seen real application to what they were doing. And, you know, when you have students that aren't as strong in the clinical setting and you then, then they graduate and they become nurses, you know, is that, are they ready? Um, and teaching them the other gaps that I see are lack of, and I struggled with it too, is that interdisciplinary communication, how to get everybody on the same page, you know, how, how to get the doctor to communicate with the other doctor. Um, you know, are they, wh- what is their priority? Cause you're telling them all these things are going on, but they're, that's not on their mind. They're thinking about something else. And it's like, okay, well, what is your goal? What, you know, and trying to, and to teach that, like, but for a new grad nurse that's still trying to learn time management and all these things, that's that's hard for them to kind of grasp to look at a doctor and be like, okay, well, when are you concerned? What are you concerned about? Because all these other things in the textbook say that that's not good. 
this potassium is not good. Um, you know, but you're not concerned about that. Okay. What are you concerned about? Um, but I think that if we could solve that answer, we could solve nursing education, which would be fantastic. Sounds awesome. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. great. <laughs> Do that. Well, Let's solve it. <laughs> I, you know, I also like Kate, what you're saying is finding your voice, like a, helping a new grad or a learner find their voice. Like you said, to say, well, what, what is your priority, you know, to, to speak up and to get that shared mental model. This is what I'm thinking is my priority, but what's your priority? And now we can maybe broaden our, our uh, shared mental model for this situation, for this patient, um, and really get to some probably better solutions and better patient care ultimately. But if you don't have the tools to activate that voice or even the knowledge, Mm -hmm. um, you can really be uh, at a deficit. When I, when somebody, I don't, I didn't come up with that saying, somebody taught it to me. That was probably my preceptor. And she said, you know, okay, well, let's ask them, when are you concerned? Cause I'm concerned, but when are you concerned? Cause I need to, we need to be on the same page. And when she taught me that phrase, I just felt like so in control and mm -hmm. it was such a nice feeling. Cause I felt like, oh, I'm going to actually find out what the doctors want to know, you know, because their notes are you know, no events overnight. There are a lot of events overnight. <laughs> like, but, um, okay. Okay. And so it's like, okay, well, when are you concerned? And that started to bridge that gap of communication, which then ultimately led to better patient care. And here are my concerns and here's why. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we don't share the why. Um, maybe we don't feel empowered. Maybe we don't even know the why. Maybe we don't know that the other person, the listener needs the why. Uh, we just assume that they, you know, that they have it. They understand what you're trying to say, but I think sharing that could be really helpful. <laughs> and I would also venture to, to guess that we should be doing more of that in academia, right? And it may stem from a part of that. Like you said, they may not know the why, because how often are we being, are, are we creating space and holding space in our classrooms to model the thinking? We get so much content creep. We have to cover so much breadth of content. Are we creating space um, for us to be able to model and make thinking visible, buff up the thinking that is faulty or gets folks in trouble, reinforce the good thinking? And it brings me back to, you know, when we, so Kate, Michelle, and I um, have had opportunities where we'll pull different um educators who are in faculty development workshops with us. And one of the questions, and we do it with Sue Freneris, and one of the questions is, you know, what is not happening in your classroom? Um, because there's just so much going on. And um, a lot of times the themes come out as it's the space for thinking, for reflection, for, and I would paraphrase it into modeling the thinking, which comes back to what we're talking about. If we're not doing it there, then how do they know how to do it in context when they're in practice mm -hmm. and understanding what's salient and important versus all the noise. Yeah. I, I don't know if other programs do this, but I know that Maryland um, with our program during our practicum, we had like mini groups and we would meet once a week and they would, you know, we would talk about our clinical experience and you would break down um, and get us to think about other, you know, what's next? What if that didn't work? You, you would help kind of create that critical thinking. Um, now I don't know if other programs did that, but that I think opened up that space for that thinking and for that, um, for those thoughts. 
yeah, those are good conversations. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think it takes um, a facilitator too to generate, to ask those open-ended questions, to generate that conversation, to keep that moving. Because um, I'm familiar with those small group meetings that you're talking about. And it can be very easy, again, for educators to fall into the, okay, you've got like five assignments coming up, you know, what's going on, what's happening next, what's due when, and you can get very task focused Mm -hmm. um, and really miss the point of that opportunity for rich dialogue. And um, so even, and and I, I fell prey to that too, but, you know, I think a lot of students in a lot of the situations and in just in nursing school, I mean, you're, you're focused on a grade, you know, you're focused on that paper. Am I going to get that A, that test? Am I going to get a, like, I need a B, I need a B. Um, and so they're focused on the test scores and not necessarily on the learning as a whole, um, because they have to get the scores they can pass, um, you know, which are, those are important too, because it helps us standardize and know like, okay, they're getting this content. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, um, but I find that a lot of students are very focused on their grade and they don't necessarily care what happens like clinically uh, in a clinical practice situation. They just want to know, did they get the information for their care plan? Did they get their information for that paper that they have to write? And it's like, well, no, let's talk about like what happened today. Like that was really interesting. What did you learn? Like you got to see X, Y, and Z and they're like, well, but my care plan says that I need to write this, this, and this, and I need to go so I can write it. And it's like, oh no, like be more excited about the pick line you got to see pulled or something like that. (laughs) I agree. I agree. And I think, and you know, I always wished that we could hold that practicum time sacred Mm -hmm. the whole semester, you know, or whatever that course, um, that practicum experience could be held sacred for just that practicum, practical learning that would be generated and enhanced with dialogue. But, you know, a lot of times you've got these assignments again, that get, because, you know, we can talk about curricula too. That could be a whole nother conversation. But when you look at your curriculum as a whole, like where are these papers and where do they need to be and how big do they need to be? Do you need to have a 10 page paper in every semester? Does a paper need to be 10 pages? Do you need to have every class have their own paper or assignment? You know, like, what what do what does the work of learning look like across an entire curriculum? And are there maybe places in the curriculum that could be held very sacred for the practical learning and the reflection and the dialogue that needs to happen to advance their thinking? I mean, that's yeah. yeah. And you know, and this ties back to even beyond practicum early on and think about clinical post-conferences. And for the longest time, when I would facilitate a clinical-based course, I tried to not use the word post-conference because I think we can totally reconceptualize when we have these conversations during the course of an assigned clinical day or clinical time frame. It does, does it have to be at the end of the day, right, as post-conference? And what do those conversations look like? Because, you know, when I had time sitting as a chair of a curriculum committee, it came to my attention that students were saying, well, we were getting pulled off the unit an hour early so that we could do our concept maps and our care plans. Like, wait, 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 we need to have a shared mental model about what is the purpose of clinical learning? Is it to care for patients and build the thinking in context? Or is it to sit in a conference room at a hospital and fill out a piece of paper? Um, 
So what is the best use of your time and how do we help facilitate the skills and the thinking that we need to be facilitating? Whole nother conversation. We're not going to get rid of concept maps though, right? Or like, (laughs) those are fun. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I agree. Like you have to think about what, like, what is their priority? What are, you know, what, what are they concerned about? Going back to that same question of, you know, do we want to learn clinical practice or do we want to learn how to fill out this form? Yeah. And, you know, and there's a time and a place for that, right? It's that's helping us put on paper what we can't see in their brain. So that's great. You know, that I'm people are going to hear this and be like, Rachel Onello is against care plans. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, but there's a time and a place, right? And it gets back to Michelle, your comment about, you know, looking at this big picture of curriculum development and and how it's scaffolded it scaffolded and how do we strategically place things at different times um, in the right context so that we're taking advantage of the opportunities to learn. You know, in one of the courses that I was coordinating, we went away from the kind of traditional care planning model and had thinking and action tools mm-hmm. that were really designed to put the nursing thinking that happens in real time, but on a a piece of paper that would cue the learner to, you know, this is the time where it's good to check your labs. And this is the good time to look up your medications. And this is the good time to, you know, so it would just help unfold an actual nurse's day. Yeah. Then what we would do, because that was a real time usable tool we would have the learners turn one of them in or two of them a semester. So they weren't doing extra work. They were just turning in their thinking tool to get some feedback on their thinking, Um, not for the purposes of going home and making it shiny and beautiful and typing it. And, you know, I was like, if it's a hot mess, it should be a hot mess because a nurse's day, you know, has a lot of information and does get messy. So let's see what that looks like. Yeah, we do something very similar and we call it a brain on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Just to highlight the thinking and the decision making um, so that it can be modeled and reinforced. That's interesting. I It triggered something in my mind going back and thinking like, you know, in, in an academic world, we're getting the abnormals and we're getting the medications like, okay, we can give this, this or this because the potassium's this, the sodium's this and the insulin's this or the blood glucose is this. Um, and, you know, but in a, in clinical practice, you have to think you have to go to your MAR, you have to, you know, the call bell's calling, you have to, their patients are asking for orange juice. You're like, your glucose is 500. Like, no, I'm not getting that. Um, you know, they don't want the diet ginger ale, but then you're also having to look up your medications, making sure everything is, you know, correct. And knowing when, and when to do all of those things and building that time management is something that it's, you don't learn that I think in, unless you're in like a practicum setting. Um, and then also going back to the first conversation we are having is where, you know, the concept maps and the care plans, those are all very important to learn and to kind of put all the pieces together. Um, you know, but you can't, cause you can't have this next step until you understand that where you can't you know, use that brain and use the, the next tool before you can kind of do it in your head already. Um, so it's, they are important. I'll agree. <laughs> but, you know, in that next step or that next setting, you know, 
holding that practicum time sacred and making it more just about the clinical practice. So you can learn when to look up your meds, when to look at your labs, you know, and putting them all together and putting the clinic and going to look at the patient, seeing what the patient actually looks like. Cause I'll tell you, like I saw a patient that had a glucose of 300 and I was like, Oh, they must be in like DKA. They're walking, talking, having like, you know, no issues. And they're like, yeah, this is normal. And I'm like, what? That's not what the book says. Um, and so, you know, putting the, all the pieces together and seeing the actual patient in that setting too. Yeah. Um, I would say that's what students struggle with a lot is realizing that the patients don't read the textbook, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So they have to understand how do we help them transition from very concrete, uh, novice, level thinking to being able to lean into and tolerate the gray and be able to um, understand those nuances of thinking in clinical practice that you see all the time that, you know, patients aren't going to follow the textbook. And I think we're circling back in our conversation now to understanding, you know, what's the salient concepts and what's the noise. And you learn that in context, right. And, and trying to build clinical judgment. So Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, this has been um, a really amazing conversation, Kate. So thank you for your time. Thank you. So grateful. Uh, we do have some rapid fire fun questions. Okay. Go Are on. you ready? Sure. Let's try. Right. <laughs> I don't trust Rachel. <laughs> I know. Do you want, Rachel, do you want me to kick off or do you want to? Yes. Can you go ahead and kick it off and then I'll throw my audible in at the end. Okay. And you have to define audible for everybody else. Too. Okay. Okay. For the academic world. <laughs> All right. So if you were to write a memoir, what would you title the book? Mm, the life of a preschool dropout. <laughs> My proudest accomplishment. <laughs> that is awesome. I kind of, I really do want to know more about this because I was also um, a nursery school dropout and I, was teased about it. And my whole family would be like, you couldn't even finish nursery school. And I was <laughs> I like nursery school. I'm not, I was really little. Um, I had two older brothers and I got to play with them constantly. Um, and then all of a sudden one day we were in, I, I, for all intents and purposes, like a daycare or a nursery school. And um, me and my brother were separated and I did not like that. And so all I did was cry all day and didn't want to, I just would, if they would let me go sit with him, I'd be fine. But then, you know, the teachers were like, no, no, you really need to like have some separation. And to be very clear, my brothers were not nice to me. (laughs) They were, were, (laughs) her daughter is, I feel for her. Um, But, uh, you know, I just wanted to be around them. And so I um, cried and cried and cried. And finally, my mom said, you know, this isn't worth it. And I came home. I love it. It's yeah. very sweet. And look at you now. Look at me now. Got <laughs> um, what is on the top of your reading list right now for fun? Well, with a 10 month old, I don't do a lot of reading. Um, I have been listening to some podcasts. Um, I'm going to start listening to y'all's now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was I listened to the office ladies. Um, Cause I'm a big office fan. Um, and y'all kind of remind me of it now. So that's kind of cute. And, um, but I've been reading a lot of the guide to feeding babies and toddlers. So that's on my reading list and how to get babies to sleep. Uh, but there is a new Tom Felton 
Beyond the Wand. I'm a big, big Harry Potter fan, so I'm hoping to get my hands on that for Christmas and spend some time reading it. If I can get the baby to sleep. <laughs> yeah, so you, putting, I see there's putting a the book in, in context the book. is very different. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your favorite quote? Oh, my favorite quote would have to be Goonies Never Say Die. Mm. Yay! Hey, you guys. <laughs> I was a big Goonies fan. My brothers watched it. We it was, you know, we used to watch it all the time growing up. So and that was one of my favorite quotes. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? I know I'm supposed to say somebody really like famous or cool or influential, but um I'd probably say my grandma. Um she passed away before I got married. And uh, I just would like to see her again. Aww. You know, Kate, um, we asked that question of, of everyone and um, the vast majority um, are right there with you. It's somebody who uh, was a family member that they loved that had a huge impact on their life. And so uh, my heart goes out to you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. My son has red hair like her. So I feel like I got a little piece of her. So. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you for sharing that. Cause when I saw a picture of him, I'm like, Hmm, I might, that's not Travis's hair. That's not Kate's hair. Where'd that hair come from? Dark hair. And I was like, all right, well, I wanted a blonde baby, but I knew it wasn't going to happen with Travis having such dark curly hair. Um, and then he lost all of that and it started coming back red. And me and my mom were like, what is happening? Like that is. So, um, every time I look at him, I see her a little bit. So it's Aww, nice. that's special. Yeah. So are you ready for my audible? Oh, you made me cry on, you know, podcast. Sure. Go for it. (laughs) All right. So for those who are unfamiliar with an audible, it's like when the quarterback calls their own play um, at the, you know, the line. So I'm going to call my own play here with the question. All right. So Aiden, we put Hogwarts sorting hat on him. Where does he go? Well, with the red hair, I'd feel like he'd be a Gryffindor. (laughs) um but i mean i'm definitely a hufflepuff so um um, but i think travis is a gryffindor so he'd be in between i think somewhere okay so he's got dual like got dual citizenship yeah dual citizenship okay okay i can do that yeah (laughs) kate i I have no idea what you all are talking about but i love it it's adorable (laughs) (laughs) all right so michelle in your free time you're gonna have to watch harry potter yeah Yes, I know. Uh, before May, because I'm going to Universal Studios, evidently. Oh, yeah. Okay. So isn't there a Harry Potter thing there? And there is. I went after nursing school, and um, that's where I wanted to go. My mom said, "Where when you graduate, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go to Harry Potter World. So she and I went to Harry Potter World. Um, and Travis and I had just started dating. And as my graduation present, he got me um, one of the wands that like do the magical things there, which was pretty awesome. So... I think that's when I knew he was a keeper. That is so awesome. Well, Kate, it has been an absolute pleasure um, as someone who has seen you grow from your very first semester in nursing school to a very experienced, confident, wonderful nurse that you are today. I am just so proud of the journey that I've gotten to sit back and watch this journey you're taking. And I can't wait to see where you continue to go. Uh, Thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you. It's been wonderful catching up and just talking with you guys both about things that, you know, we're passionate about. And, you know, I hope this continues. This is awesome. Thanks. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of NLN Nursing Edge Unscripted Surface. We hope you join us next time. Until then, remember, whether your water is calm or choppy, stay connected, get vulnerable, and dare to go beneath the surface.